would be fun. To well, do. exactly, because then you can edit I'm, it and do all kinds of magical wizardry. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, like, I'm going to be, like, I, I snip the audio anyway, so, but it's just, I've known you for such a fucking long time, uh, you know, I don't want to just tell you all about business and be like, hello, Miss Sutherland, Mrs. Sutherland. I know. Well, it Let's was get actually, right into it. <laughs> it was really funny when you kind of, you know, sort of did that sort of, you know, back brief kind of thing going, yeah, it was 2006. And that's 14 years ago that we met. Sure. I was living with Max Starr at the time, the infamous Max wow, Starr now. Infamous. My tribute. Yeah. Black sheep. <laughs> I think I am the only comedian in Britain and Scotland that got my full back pay from Max Starr. Wow. Congratulations. I think yeah. I still have a check from him written in pencil. In pencil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could have gone over it with a pen, but it just amused me. You know, it's really <laughs> funny. In 2014, when I came for the Fringe then, uh, I was in a restaurant, um, I think near Hanover Square. And suddenly the waiter, out of the blue, just comes and he goes, are you safe, a comedian? I was like, wow. Yeah, why? And he goes, uh, do you know Max Starr? And I was just like, you are kidding. Yes. That always immediately made you slightly nervous going, oh God, if he knows Max Starr, then but <laughs> what trouble know the... is coming my way? And I mean, how much like, money I... do I owe you? <laughs> like, did he say I would give you sexual favors? I, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> then he just was like, no, no, you're a comedian, aren't you? I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, that's all. I was like, okay. And even a friend of mine who was with me, who was from Egypt, he was just like, that is, who the hell is Max Starr? Mm. Like, long story. That is a question that many people still ask to this day. Who the hell is Max Starr? <laughs> is he a Tasmanian prince that was married to a princess from the Mauritius? Uh, but do you know what, actually, Safe, you know, for all the stories of Max Starr and all his dodgy Those dealings, are all what he said, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But he, he was one of the first promoters to kind of let me headline. I mean, way before I was capable of doing it, but he had so many gigs running that were so kind of literally in a van, jump out, do the gig. I mean... That's where I kind of learned how to really gig on the hoof was because of Max Starr and his crazy gigs. They, I mean, it was a training ground like no other. It doesn't exist anymore. I'll agree with you uh, on the basis that in 2005, when I came to my first Fringe, um, I was staying with Patrick Monaghan. And mm. uh, for our listeners, if I include this, but I probably will just start from the question part, but this could be from our bloopers. So for our viewers... Patrick Monaghan is an Irish-Iranian comedian. He's based in London. He grew up in Teesside and was letting me stay with him, him and Shazir Mirza, Pakistani comedian from Birmingham. And Max Starr was hosting this gig at the Three Ton. And he let me host. It was like I was on the mobile to him because I was originally going to headline. And then he just turned around and says, can you host? And this was the first time I hosted at the Fringe. Wow. It was like, you know, and it was a great experience. Like mm. it, it, that was back in the day when I used to do my comedy dressed as a nun. 
<laughs> I don't think you ever saw me perform dressed as a nun, did you? I don't think I did. This is I not a memory. I still have the habit and the wimpo, and uh, but I never, <laughs> but I never. I, I I think I got rid of the handbag. It might be in with the rest of the the outfit <laughs> in the special in the special bag. This is definitely going to be in the bloopers for like <laughs> YouTube. So those of you that might be seeing this on YouTube or on Instagram you would like to go and check out the podcasts on Anchor FM. So, yeah. right. Uh, that was a nice little bit of catch up. I needed that. That was a nice little trip down memory lane. You are the first comedian that actually made me, uh, I shall start with the, uh, before the bio. You are the first comedian that made me laugh so hard that my muscles in my face hurt. It was at that gig where you were headlining. Uh, it was me, you, I think Billy. Billy Kirkwood. Might have been Billy Kirkwood. It might have been someone else. I can't remember who, but you were just on fire. You were talking about your children and the, <laughs> your blonde and your, your husband's brunette, a brown haired or like the father of the children, and like a lot of your kids are ginger or something. It was just that's right, God, yeah. Uh, and like literally, you had the audience. Like I've never <laughs> seen a command like literally, and uh, like to see you perform. And I was very pissed off I didn't see you perform in 2014, but I was in a grieving headspace. No. Oh. That year. Oh, so kind of you to say though, because you kind of you forget, don't you? You kind of you as a comic, you just you try, you go on, you do your best. You know when you have good gigs. You know when you have sort of good gigs. Jojo, I've been blessed with an eidetic memory, which means every woman hates my guts because I remember everything. <laughs> I remember well, all, I all the good, much, all the bad. I very much like that you remember making you laugh so hard it hurt your cheek muscles that's a that's a compliment and a half isn't it well, i'll put that on the poster you are uh, yeah i mean like no offense to all the other comedians out there you know that do make me laugh and make me chuckle and sometimes make me roll my eyes and <laughs> i think it was oh i'm I capable of doing that as well for people <laughs> I've, I've decided to make a habit of like not name and shame bad comedians or bad rep reputed comedians in these podcasts and just sort of like focus on the positive but i'd like to say they know who they are but they don't because they're so delusional <laughs> yeah but now and then i'm a firm believer that karma serves a nice reality check in the form of well, now and then you might be lucky to see it so um, he was once performing, there was this one comedian, he was once performing in uh, Edinburgh Fringe and he did a really bad Ramadan joke with the Ramadan a ding dong as is punchline. It was just. Hmm. It's disappointing sometimes, isn't it? When you see comics that do things, you just go, oh, why have you stooped so low? Or you know, why have you just, yeah, cheat? cheating or stealing or just yeah well i it's the audiences and the followers and the testimonials of what can you i mean like you're i'll get into the so 
I'll get into character of the podcast because I really, <laughs> I overindulged. I didn't do the intro, so I need to leave a nice little pause for edit. Hello and welcome to Savable Candles, the show with no name. On our special third and three is the lucky number, the, you know, third time is the charm. And our guest is none other than winner of Scotland's best solo show comedian, Jojo Sutherland. She's tour supporter to Jonathan Pye, who is a British satirical comedian. For those of our listeners that are outside of Britain, he does these frank ranty videos about politicians and the stupidity he calls them on their bs i'm trying not to swear you can swear because you're scottish I'm okay not, yeah, i don't know how not to swear <laughs> ah, no you know it's not bother i know that swearing is like you know it's like sort of like set you know i've i have even though max star it's does oxygen the, it's oxygen to us we max don't star, have a I think it was Max Starr or someone else does that gag about like, you know, how have I told you about doing that fucking crossing the street type thing, you know, like <laughs> slapping the child. I've seen it, you know, it's like, it's like, it's funny because it's true. Yeah, um, exactly. You survived a near-death experience. She survived. Jojo survived a near-death. I say you because I'm looking at her, but I also, it's like she survived a near, because you survived, that's huge. We'll get back to that. She lived in a castle. She is the mother of four and a phenomenal creator of comedy. Did I leave anything out? I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, I've been divorced a couple of times. And uh, yeah, I mean, been around the block a bit. Had a few, like you say, near-death experience. Life, I've lived a life and many more through it all. But yeah, I, I was still here. I was engaged to a passport digger, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> not the same as divorce, obviously, but it kind of sucks. Um, you lived in a castle? I did, and I actually went back and visited it recently. The first uh, gig back in Scotland after lockdown, because we've been closed down from March, and none of the clubs have been able to open. So the first live event indoors, we've had sort of drive-ins and garden gigs and all that kind of stuff but the first yes, actually true. live gig inside in Inverness mm -hmm. because they are in a different tier um, we did that gig and uh, when we were driving past driving back from Inverness I said to Craig Hill and Gareth Wall I was like oh, we're going to go past my old house shall we take a little detour so we did we drove up the mile and a half long drive that had huge signs everywhere going no unauthorised entry and they were all just uh, and I just sort of swept into the driveway and um, the lady of the house came out and I told her who I was and she was delightful and said oh do, do, I remember you do you want to come and have a look around the grounds so yes so it was it was lovely so Gareth and Craig were just like what is this lunacy um, Did you take but yeah it was videos yeah we took pictures yes yeah, so they're on my Facebook and my Instagram I took nice. pictures uh, and we will picture be put... pointing out I shall, I shall be putting your social media, like mm. your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook page in the description of the episode and cool. also in any Instagram, like whatever platform. So like if you're on Instagram and I'm on Instagram, the links, I'll take cool. care of everything. I'll look after you. Oh, thanks, baby. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, so if, yeah, if people go on my Instagram, they have a little scroll, they'll see 
see the castle that I grew up in. Oh, yeah. Nice. The life that no longer exists. <laughs> well, another world. Uh, considering I live in something of a castle that my dad built, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to start posting some pictures of it because you know I'm planning to move back. And just an FYI to our listeners and to you, Jojo, if I lapse into a Scottish accent now and then, nay bother. It's just because it's such a lovely accent. Ah, very good, safe, nice it's, little. It's a real, it's a real friendly accent. Not like Russian. Well, you know how to roll shit. your R's. That's it. Is the the rolling of the R's is the key to a good Scottish accent. Uh, it's the mince and tatties. It's the it's the Scottish breakfast of uh, having <laughs> a really milky tea. <laughs> That's exactly what I've got now. <laughs> Off the Royal Mile. Is there lots of milk and lots of sugar? There is no sugar. I don't take sugar, but it's milky tea. Milky tea. Milky tea. Uh, do mm. you heat up the milk or do you pour it in cold? Pour it in cold. Aye. Oh. <laughs> 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 I love Scottish accent. I swear. It's It's got to be the, the... It is one of the finer... You know, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, this is not in the questions, but on a scale of 1 to 10, as a Scots, Scottish lady, mm. Mel Gibson... In Braveheart, on a scale of one to ten, does he sound like Colin Farrell's Alexander the Great, mm. or does he sound like Brad Pitt's take on a pikey in Snatch? Ten, because Brad Pitt did pull off a pretty good pikey in in uh, Snatch. I have no idea what Mel Gibson thought he was doing, but it is nothing in the least bit recognizable to a Scottish accent. <laughs> For us Arabs, we thought, oh, this is a very good Scottish accent. You know, we think, oh, you know, he knows how to speak. He knows how to, uh, to, 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 to inspire. When my mother saw Braveheart, true story, uh, we watched it, me and my mom and my dad. And when it first came out, I got it on video and we watched it at home and um, in London. And they were blown away by the film, the storyline. Emphasis on story. <laughs> Emphasis on story. And the fact is that for my mother, she doesn't know the Scottish accents in there. Yeah. And as well, she doesn't know the climate as proof when she packed my suitcase in 2014. <laughs> she unpacked my packing and packed it with like, it's August. <laughs> Bless. Yeah, she doesn't understand Scottish weather. No, she um, didn't. I think the one thing about Braveheart, you can't take away from it. At least they had the beautiful scenery. I mean, you can't disguise Scotland's beauty. Beautiful scenery, beautiful soundtrack, uh, riveting story. And my mother's first line was, they'll never show this in the Middle East, or at least not in an entirety. Because mm. she felt that that was going to, like, you know, inspire and uh, instigate revolutions. So... Cracking on with our first question, I met you first in 2006 when I was living in Scotland, yet you'd been doing stand-up since 2000. Is that correct? A little bit later than that. I did my first ever gig in December 2001. I did a comedy course. And, you know, like many comedy courses, you do five minutes at a showcase at the 
the sort of the culmination of the course. Um, but it was, I mean, not even to poor unsuspecting public, it was to friends and family, invited guests. So it was a mm. very supportive, encouraging audience. So I did five minutes. That was December 2001. Mm-hmm. And then, and I did, and I loved it. I felt, I literally fell in love with it. It was one of those feelings. It was because I'd done acting before and, you know, I'd always wanted to be an actor and, you know, I got married, had kids, got divorced, you know, that sort of doing stand-up, really doing a stand-up course was my idea of how to get back into acting. It wasn't actually about being a comedian until I'd stood on stage in those first five minutes and I was just like, oh, I'm home. This this feels like where I'm meant to be. And I then just, I mean, the the scene was so different back then. And even though it's not that long, well, it is, it's nearly 20 years, isn't it? But it was so different in as much as, you know, you could phone Red Raw on a Wednesday at the stand and get a gig the following Monday. Mm. Whereas now, there's a my apparently there's a nine month waiting list to get a five minute spot at the stand, you know, which is as you know one of the best clubs probably in the world. Um, but then it was easy, it was dead easy. So after I'd done my first gig in December, it was Christmas and blah blah, blah. and then um, I think I did my second gig in March at mm. the Glasgow Comedy Festival, just again a little five minute spot, and then got asked to do another one. Then I got pregnant. Then you know, so I was just doing some congratulations. Thank you. Belated congratulations. Yes, belated congratulations. So yes, so I barely started comedy when I sort of became pregnant, and sort of obviously as you progress through pregnancy, you get bigger. And and I've always thought back on that time. Actually, I think I it was kind. I didn't mean for it to happen, but in terms of audiences again are very forgiving because they can see you're heavily pregnant so they 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 do let you away with a lot more people just not mean you know how combative stand-up can be you know as a woman it can be you know sort of one i don't know as a woman but i i I understand yeah (laughs) in my former life when i was uh, in my former life i was a lesbian princess in one of my former lives and so i understand what you mean about being a woman but in this existence and this exa- yeah. existential presence of my being from 1976, but as we all know, I'm 27. From yeah. now, like, you Aren't know, we all? I, oh yeah, I'm, we're all 27 forever because that's when we all die inside. Um, mm-hmm. uh, basically, yeah, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're, yeah, I do know what you mean about being, uh, it's carry, I was going to say, also, I don't think, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I don't think anyone wants to be on the receiving end of a pregnant woman's hormone wrath. Well, there is that, of course, but, but because I was still obviously really new at that time, I think pre- I just, I had yeah, <laughs> not been pregnant, but, but yeah, that was my fourth time around, wasn't it? God, oh. I'm good at this. But I think being on stage pregnant, I think I had a longer time yeah. on stage without the, I think if I hadn't been pregnant, I would have had to deal with situations much more head on. Whereas right. I think I got a bit of grace because I was pregnant. Yeah. And so by default, that just gave me more time to grow and make mistakes without really getting challenged, yeah. which in retrospect, I think was really yeah, really beneficial to me, you know, so, yeah. 
So I've had a good year on stage without getting any grief from anybody. <laughs> you, yeah, because I thought, because like when I did my research on you and I saw that in the article that you had your near death experience in 2000, I made the assumption, and we all know what they say about assumption, that mm -hmm. you, you had that near death experience and you were like, you know what? I'm going to do stand up. So I thought it was well, like. That that was the catalyst, 100%. So that was July 2000, I had a brain hemorrhage. Right. And then took, you know, several weeks and months to recover from that. So it was the beginning of 2001, where I was sort of on the road to recovery. Right. And that was, it was a real kind of reassessing your life's priorities, what you wanted. You know, at that time, I was, I was a single parent at that point with three kids. So on income support, I was at a very low low income um, and kind of just in a rut and you know because of having something like that occur in your life it really does challenge you in in what's important and what you, you know and also that realization that you just go oh my god it is finite you really your mortality hits you like a ton of bricks mm. and and it was that kind of like I don't have a minute to waste here because when I had the brain hemorrhage it came completely out of the blue I had no warning. It just literally, it was a click of a finger, the difference between being standing upright, feeling absolutely fine to being collapsed and being sick. And so, you know, I, I live like that now. I, I live like that to this day, that a click of, I'm a click of a finger away from not being here. So it was that thing. And so, you know, I did talk, you know, I was like, oh, I want to go back to acting. I want to go back to what I wanted to do as I was growing up and all these things so that, then I literally um, saw this advert for a comedy course mm. in the List magazine. And that was like, right, okay, if I can, if I can learn how to do stand-up, that'll be really kind of, you know, helpful in terms of acting because actors always revere stand-ups. I thought, oh, that'll give me a little edge on actors and, you know, an extra skill set. So I did the course really more in mind to be able to sort of apply for acting jobs and literally found found my home the minute I stood on stage doing stand up, and then yeah pursued it, and that is yeah. So nearly twenty years later, I go all over the world, and it's the well, it's not a job, it's just the best way of life. I love it. And I forgot to mention in the bio that you were actually one of the few, like actually the last uh, comedian to perform before the first major lockdown happened in Scotland, like among one of the few, and like, as you said, you've been doing the adaptive, the drive-throughs and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to the point you just raised with the click of a finger, um, I'll get back to that, but with the, I was doing improv theater for about a couple of years until mm. 2002. And I literally, it was a, it wasn't really a decision other than uh, I'll try and summarize it in 20 seconds rather than the elongated way over the years <laughs> I've done. I was every comedian's worst nightmare. The person in the audience that a bad comedian picks on okay. when, they're, when they're out of material and they just mm. want to like make the audience laugh at the expense mm -hmm. of someone else someone else and I was quite a lot bigger than I was my weight I've been going up and down but I've always been a pretty yeah. you know Rubenesque 
generously built Porthos, <laughs> slipped Atlas frame kind of guy, you know, but um, so I was used to wear baggy clothes, uh, like, so it gave me a bit of a rapper skateboarder look. So I was wearing a hockey top and skateboarding pants. And the guy was like, oh, it's Limp Bizkit. And I was like, are you using that indirect fat joke? And that comment made the audience laugh. So I was just like, huh, my wit is funny. And so like the more <laughs> he would like insult me, the more I would just like, at the end of it, I said the worst thing you could say to a comedian, don't give up the day job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and he literally walked off the stage and then the compare PJ uh, gave, like an intermission, like everyone, I think the next comedian didn't want to get up to that, like, you know, after that, like that, mm -hmm. it was just like a, but I didn't know any of the politics. I walked up to the compare and I said to him, can I get up there? Cause I was doing improv theater and I thought how hard can stand up be? Brilliant. It, <laughs> it's hard. It's a lot harder than it looks. Cause like once you get up on that stage unprepared, yeah, but see, I don't see it like that. Well, I definitely don't see it like that now. I just see, I, I go on stage now. That's where I go to relax. That's my me time. That's where I have no interruptions. That's where the kids can't phone me. That's where I don't have to worry about, you know, if I've got enough money to pay the electricity bill, you know, that 10 minutes, 15, 20, 25 minutes on stage. It's just, it's absolutely, it's like, it's like ultimate freedom. Well, you see, the thing is, it wasn't all bad. Like my first time, you will never forget your first time, do you, Jojo? Mm, never, never, never. Your first unprepared time, you never forget. But your your first prepared time, you also mm -hmm. never forget. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's like, that's the, the thing. And it was like, I didn't have the near death experience like you did, but I kind of did years later after I'd been doing stand up, because uh, that's why I was going to go for the snap of the finger thing was that I was only meant to do five minutes and the compare decided to like leave the room for some odd reason. I don't know whether he was like gonna go and consult. He looked, my, I'm sorry that you had a bad night. He picked on me, made fun of me, said I should not give up the day job. I was like, oh my, you know, what do you expect? You pick on the audience punter. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get, you know, you picked on the wrong one. Anyway, I'm gonna go. So he like left me for 10 minutes on stage. It wasn't all bad, but it wasn't that good. And, when he came and he was like, he must've been watching for a little bit, came up and he was like, you have the same potential as a young Eddie Izzard. Wow. So I took that as a huge, all right, I know what I need to do because Dress to Kill had just come out a few years prior. And so I- Although apparently Eddie Izzard was shit for the first five years. <laughs> I heard she is, I heard she is. Uh, she was, I don't, I don't know. I've heard many of things about her, uh, but you didn't think, I bet you didn't think you'd hear an Egyptian Iraqi Muslim saying that, but anyway, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> aggressive thinking, Jojo, come on. Absolutely. Well done. But yeah. I think as well, going back to that fear thing, because one of the things that's very much associated with being a stand-up comedian or doing stand-up and people's perceptions of it, people often say oh my god you're so brave or oh my god I could never do that I'd be far too scared and I think that's one hurdle I never had with stand-up comedy because in terms of having a near-death experience facing your own mortality 
I do know what real fear feels like. And that is not the same as the nerves that you feel before you go on stage. It's not, I don't have a fear of going on stage. I have an excitement, I have an adrenaline rush and I've got, you know, nervous energy, but it's not fear. And, and I think some comics do get bogged down with fear. I think they are scared of the audience or they're scared of the performance. And I've just been really lucky. I've never, I've just never had that, that fear because that's not fear to me. I know what, what my, my fear feels like. Oh, you see, that's what I, I agree with you 100%. I also don't share that fear. I didn't share a fear of failure. On the contrary, I just like, mm. I felt bad when, when they didn't get laughs, you know, because yeah. like I was like, I felt like I was letting down my craft. Yeah. Right. The first time. But then when I, because like, then he took me off the stage. He was like, look, it's not bad. You just got to get a top five minutes. Then a tight 10 minutes, he was like from London. So I had this real Cockney accent, you know, <laughs> a lot of years of drinking. PJ, I don't know if you know him. Or, uh, PJ rings a bell. I don't think he's, do he's not doing, is he still he's doing? He's not doing stand-up anymore. No. But yeah, PJ, he has like a rough, gruff accent like that. Loves his quadruple Jack Daniels and Coke. And... Um, Sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, Jack Daniels and Coke that tastes like benzene. With there was taste. more the quadruple with... element of it. <laughs> yeah, but he did. He has like hardly any. Anyway, I digress. But he goes, you need to get a tight five minutes and then a tight 10 and a tight 15 and a 20 and a 25 and a 30, 45. You work your way up to an hour. Then you've got an Edinburgh Fringe show. I was like, what's an Edinburgh Fringe show? He goes, that is the next step of your journey. It was like really prophetic. Like it, was, it felt like one of those out of the movie moments. Like you've got to be on a journey. You've decided is what you've got to do. It is a journey, isn't it? And I don't, I don't ever want to really reach the destination. I just, you know, I always want to just, I want to stay on the journey. I want to just keep discovering. And it's nice to go over old ground or, you know, go around in circles a bit and, you take a little detour, but essentially just stay on the road and keep going, just keep getting better or change. I think the, and I think that's what's been fun. Fun, is that the right word? But about lockdown, because just before lockdown, you know, I was really kind of, you know, right at the end of the runway, just about to take off. Do you know I mean, so many good things were happening and it felt like the culmination of years of hard work was about to soar off into the sky and sort of the plane just kind of ground a halt and slid into a fence. Um, this is but, your captain speaking. We regret to yeah. inform you that the rest of your plans are fucked. The rest of your career is currently on hold. But and my immediate... I just want to point to out that, to my listeners, if they're family, that was not me swearing. That was a clip from a Karma British Airways pilot saying about 2020 <laughs> carry on um my initial reaction was one of like everybody shock you know bewilderment I felt very vulnerable I felt very nervous about what the future held I mean just those first few days just going realistically as it sort of things became obvious that gigs were getting cancelled and lockdown was going to happen it was like you know the very basic fundamental fear of how the fuck am I going to pay the bills? How, you know, how are we going to survive? You know, and, the, you know, sort of an element of poor me, do you know what I mean? I was meant to be doing this, that next thing. But then quite quickly, sort of coming out of that, just going, because I'm a real, 
um, I'm a real pragmatist and I'm, do you know what I mean? I, I always kind of go, right, you know, right, this has happened. How do, how do we deal with that? There's no point feeling sorry for myself. And I've always thought as well, do you know what I mean? I, either I kill myself, which I'm not going to do, or, you know, you keep going. And if you're going to keep going, you can't just wallow in your own shit. So I was like, right, I need to find a way out of this. And so it was, it's been really exciting in some ways just to have to find ways to adapt, have to, you know, throw yourself into Zoom gigs or live streams or doing sketches. And I've learned, I've learned how to use a computer like properly for the first time, you know, doing sketches and, you know, just the technical side of stuff. And yeah, so I've learned more skills that I don't think I'd ever have learned if I just carried on because I was going at a million miles an hour, I was busy, busy, busy. Whereas I found I've got other skills in performance that I've, mm. I've kind of dug deep for that I've gone, oh, wow. And I think because everybody took a risk, nobody was, you just saw everybody on the internet, even if it was a bit shit, it was like, oh, let's give it a whirl because everybody was so much more accommodating and accepting and everybody appreciated everyone was just trying to give it a go mm. that people didn't comics didn't have that same sort of professional anxiety about putting their work out there if it wasn't quite to their standard because nothing I've done through lockdown has been quite to the standard I would expect from myself in a live environment mm. but it's like but these are different times and and so it's been nice to kind of really push myself into things where I've gone, oh, it's not great, but oh, sod it, we'll give it a go. Do you know what I mean? I do. I've, I do. I've enjoyed um, it. I've, I've, I've enjoyed like the little adaptations I've been able to do throughout the, because the, even though I'm living in, in, in Egypt, I'm adopting a British mindset. So if, mm. you know, if, if my, friends are in tier two or tier three then i'm also in a tier two or tier three mindset mm -hmm. so i'm limiting my you know i'm two meters you know like you know two meters distancing i'm using organic lavender organic hand sanitizer <laughs> this has got to be like the nicest <laughs> thing it smells of lavender it's organic so it's free from all those nasty you know, this will kill three layers of your skin. Yeah. You know, like, uh, but um, the snap of a finger, I was crossing the street in 2014, uh, Chamber Street, uh, Edinburgh Fringe, and all of a sudden I get this nasty sharp pain in my left leg that feels like my muscles just tore or something. And that was in 2014, August. And um, December 2016, my leg swelled up like twice mm. its size. And I don't know what a DVT is. I did find out later on when I went. And thrombosis, I, indeed. And people are always like, how? You're so young. You know, how could you at 27 get a DVT? Obviously, I was not 27. But yes, I was 27 for the mm -hmm. sake of the story. But I was very young. And there was even a blood surgeon was a brother-in-law of a friend of mine was surprised and he, he suggested I go and get a blood test to find out what could cause this and it turns out I have a mutation in my blood that breaks down folic acid which makes me susceptible more to blood clots 
And if I hadn't gone in, when I had gone in, and I don't go, I, it was not just one blood clot. It was a series of blood clots from my left toe all the way up to my like belly button. Wow. And if I had not gone in, when I had gone in. Oh, it would have moved up to your heart. My heart, my brain, I would be dead. You would not be yeah, having yeah, this yeah. conversation. You would not know that you made my face hurt comedy <laughs> you know but it's like literally well, that's it that's how yeah and that's how finite life is and i think this whole experience with lockdown and and with the virus i think again my sort of attitude towards it has been not as um fearful as many and i don't i don't no you soldiered um, you, you 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 pioneered i saw what you did like you became the the i don't want to say mouthpiece because that sounds weird and, and innuendo <laughs> slightly, you know, like it sounds like something out of Fifty Shades of Grey, even though I've never read it um, or seen the film. Neither have I, actually. It's meant to be a proper chick flick, isn't it? But I'm, yeah, not my cup of tea, safe, not interested. True story. <laughs> uh, when I was teaching history in high school here in Egypt, uh, one of my 10th grader students had a copy of 50 shades of gray and really? i boy it gets better this is in egypt <laughs> so yeah, this is the different. fact that this is happening in the it, my mind is like going this cannot be happening and i never thought i would find myself saying the sentence because i was not one of those like you know you wanted detention you got you know i was not that teacher from breakfast club you know like you're messing with the mm. bull you get the horns no i was a very i was more of like Farida, could you please put Fifty Shades of Grey away and get your textbook out and open to page 163, please. You were thinking I was going to say 169, but no. Um, I think it was even less than that. It might have been like 150 or something. But anyway, point is, um, I knew, like when I later on that year, I went to London on a visit and one of my friends, when I told her the story, she was the one who told me, you know, they call it clitlet. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. And yeah, I didn't need her to explain to me, you mean literature for the clitoris? <laughs> yep, yep. And then women it. are like just basically holding Fifty Shades of Grey in front of their clitoris and just, and just going, like licking their finger, turning a page, and like watching Netflix and chilling with a book of, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, like reading it to their clitoris or their clitoris is reading it. You know, like they might even get lost in Stranger Things and suddenly the clitoris goes, hey, well, let's make go crazy. <laughs> hey, because imagine the clitoris would be sort of like, hey, you, come on, you got to thumb the page. I want to know what happens next. <laughs> clitorises could talk next. Uh, clitorises yeah. could talk indeed. I wonder what they'd say. I know what they'd say. <laughs> um, never the things that come to the minds of people with a background in theater and comedy and uh, um, we hear the phrase it's a boys club industry when referring to the stand-up industry yet women like Lucille Ball, Joan Rivers, Victoria Wood, Joe Brand they help pave the way for women into the male-dominated field mm. and in Egypt we have a very small but incredibly funny women comedian uh, circle. Is there any shareable secrets of success that you can share for our women comedians of Egypt? Um, I think it's 
oh god it's it's do what you do it's you can't look left and right and i mean this idea that it is a boys club you've got to take so many factors into consideration in terms of there's more men do it yes why is that why do less women do it i think uh societally that women are not as predisposed to necessarily face immediate rejection so um shafi kosandi actually did a really good analogy of this about how men are used to um immediate reaction it's usually men that will ask women out for dinner it's usually men that will go up to a bar or you know ask a girl out and it's usually you women don't hit on women. guys at all they do now and it's changing and i think that's also okay. why we're seeing we're seeing a, a change um so i mean psychologically i think women are are not as well trained to take that immediate rejection do you know what i mean on stage mm. people like you or don't like you i think women have much more of an emotional response to it than men in the initial stages um but equally i think that audiences have been trained as well that women aren't funny and that you know so i've always said that an audiences audiences will assume that a man is funny until he proves otherwise they'll assume a woman is not funny until she proves otherwise they mm. will ultimately come to the same conclusion if you're funny mm. and that is at the end of the day it's slightly one step behind you but if you know you're funny and you do if you you know you go on stage and you just keep going and you mm. just show them do you know what I mean don't don't whinge about it don't go oh they're not booking me because I'm a woman they're not doing this because I'm a woman you if you're funny you're undeniable and i would normally 100% mm. say this there are situations and there are obviously dif difficulties somewhere along the line and i've had my fair share of going yeah i think i've been slightly slightly differently treated or not taken as seriously or overlooked i mean but i talk to every comedian and all of the things that i attribute to maybe because i'm a woman are exactly the same feelings that every comedian I speak to has a feeling of being overlooked about you know undermined or overshadowed or any of these things mm. that ultimately I'm in a position in this country and in in comedy I mean it's taken 20 years but it does take that long there isn't a club that doesn't book me so I can't say that they don't book women mm. because they do yeah, and yeah. Ultimately, if you are good at your job, people, I have never known a club go, I'm not booking them because they're too funny, ever. I mean, there is not a promoter in the world who goes, do you know what, I'm not, I'm not having, I'm not having that, you know, that woman because she's just, she's just too funny. It doesn't that, happen. That woman, there she made three women pee themselves laughing. I'm not bringing that because like the, yeah, the bar staff had to clean up that pee. Yeah. It was not good. Yeah. So I think it's about believing yourself. Don't make excuses. Don't mm. um, don't blame the audience. Don't blame other people. Do your job and do it well. And don't fuck other comedians. That's probably the best advice. When when you say don't fuck other comedians, uh, are you talking metaphorically or literally? Because these are Middle Eastern women. They it might. There is a cultural language barrier, maybe, I don't know. 
Maybe they understand what you mean. Do not have sex. Do not fuck over. Do other. not have sexual relations with other person. No, don't have sexual relations. Do not, do not use your femininity or your sexuality mm. to flirt with comics. Um, I don't, I've had many a conversation with Joe Caulfield, who I love dearly. Mm. And that's something, you know, we've kind of, you know, being asked this quite often about, you know, women in comedy and things. And one thing that Joe and I and other comics have in common, mm. successful female comics, we don't flirt. I don't go to work. I don't flirt with people. I don't, you know, get all giggly or, you know, try to get a drinker or flirt with the promoter. It's yeah. work. It's business. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I go to my workplace. Yes, I have a laugh. Yes, I, do you know what I mean? I've got loads of mates in comedy, but that is a purely platonic French, do you know what I mean? It's a working yeah, atmosphere. It's a working atmosphere and treat it yeah. as such. Don't, don't sleep with a headliner or get off with a promoter. And because it, it takes it into a different field and it takes it, you bring emotion and then it, it just makes everything very complicated. And then no, you won't get booked because he doesn't want to see you again or it's awkward doing. So yeah, separate business and pleasure. Mm. But I don't think maybe Egyptian comedians will have that issue, do you think? No, on the contrary. Um... I would say Maybe why they're so funny. <laughs> they don't have that uh, distraction. <laughs> well, no, you see, the thing is, because uh, like you've spoken at length about the Scottish scene. So just to our listeners who are in the UK or in the US, so I give a bit of background. Women comedians, they don't perform because we say so. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Joking. I'm, I'm not joking. saying there aren't issues. I'm not saying no, 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 no. that there isn't. I, I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> like, uh, our stand up comedy circuit started in, if you ask some people, they'll tell you 2007. But if you ask me, it started in 2004 when I did a 40 minute show here in Agamy, which is near Alexandria. Mm -hmm. But it was the first English act, audience of 70 people. But it was like I'd started doing comedy in 2002 and two years and I had like a room full of 70 friends and strangers just entertained with mm. my guitar and with jokes that I'd done in the UK. Like, but I hadn't done Fringe at that point. And in 2007, Axis of Evil came and they did a bunch of promotions and a bunch of people showed interest. They were predominantly guys. I think there was one girl in question, Noha Keito, turned out to be like a cousin of mine. Um, she performed way back, I think maybe 2000, I want to say eight. But I guess she did perform maybe in 2007 for the Axes of Evil. And I don't know if you remember Axes of Evil. It was I do indeed, yeah. Uh, Maz Jabrani and mm -hmm. Dean... I always mispronounce his na name, Obidila, Obidila. I'm Egyptian, I'm looking, Iraqi. I hope you're looking to me to help because I'm even worse. You, do you not know how to pronounce a fellow colleague's name? Isn't that a wee bit racist? <laughs> Jojo? <laughs> Incompetence, I think, is more I'm than racist. I'm just messing with you, Jojo. I'm just your <laughs> um, So I think, oh, I moved the entire laptop. There we go. Um, so yeah, no, um, so she performed and the circuit for women has not necessarily been exclusionary. It's more the culture is, a, I don't wanna say it's 
it's very traditionalist. So hmm. a woman can't like at you know 19 above turn around and say to her family, her archetypal typical Egyptian family, I've decided to do stand-up. Eh? You want to do what? You know, so it's more from like it could be from the family, it can be from the but it depends because what girls tend to do, because like a lot of women when they when we would get women comedians, because they were like sometimes you get foreign nationals or like expats living in Egypt, they'd come and we had there was this one German woman, I forget her name now, tip of my tongue, Yarne Vick. That was it. Her name was I think okay. Yarne Vick. She was German and she was living in Cairo at the time that I was managing director for El Hezbo Comedy back in 2014. And she got up on stage. So a lot of young aspiring women would tell their friends like, hey, you know, it's getting progressive, you know, if you want to try it. Mm -hmm. So like slowly but surely there have been women, you know, that have been getting up and getting the courage to get up on stage and get repeating yes. gigs and paid gigs. And from a recruiter standpoint of view, from like the Alexandria circuit, Comedy Bunch, yep. Helmy Man and Ronan Comedy, we always welcome women acts. Mm -hmm. On the contrary, a woman doesn't have to do anything other than come and perform stand up mm -hmm. and be funny. And be fun <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and I think again, this is a one a, a subject that we go on about a lot, and I've had a lot of discussions. But stand up comedy is it's an art form given its live environment. It's it it uses um, comedy uses sort of all kinds of life experiences and goes to dark and difficult places or can do deals mm. with trauma using humor to kind of take some of the worst excesses and make fun out of it or mm. make it humorous. It's not it's it's not a crochet class. It is somewhere that is quite high octane, and you're using you know you have to have an element of fearlessness and and real thick skin you know it's it's not for the faint-hearted it's not for people <clears throat> to go you know it's like oh that man was mean to me or somebody said a mean thing tough shit i mean I, and i might be being a bit harsh and I, I might be more of the sort of old school of comedy but i think if you're dealing in an arena where you are really tackling subjects and it's the last bastion of kind of real truth you can speak real truth it's exaggerated or it's you know it's twisted or whatever but we use the extreme emotions of life to to twist and turn to make comedic you know form from and and that's not for somebody that just goes I don't I don't want to be heckled I don't want to be well you need to really kind of not do it then go and somebody said recently it's like you wouldn't get this behavior or attitude in an office it's like well go and work in a fucking office then do you know I mean this is not an office you're when you're you're at work normally people around you are not normally drunk or high on drugs or you know it's a very emotional environment and you need to be emotionally robust in order to to weather it, to do it, to do it properly, mm. to give it, to do it justice, you need to be emotionally intelligent, strong, and yeah, and not let the world revolve around you, you know. True.
And I've so like as you said before uh, earlier that uh, you still perform at the stand. Uh, no, listeners, for I those hope. who don't know, she's already said it's uh, one of the best comedy clubs in the world. It's the flagship of comedy clubs in Scotland and the north of England. Uh, all the other comedy clubs and venues during the fringe, when they shut down, the stand is still standing, essentially. It's all year round. All year round. Now, I do seem that like you haven't posted a lot of your gigs online, but the one that you did recently was at Inverness with Gareth yeah. Wool, another comedian. Yeah. And Craig Hill. So Craig Hill. He yeah. always does it in a kilt, doesn't he? He does it in the kilt and a double entendre. The double um, entendre. Fabulous, fabulous comic. Uh, both of them, brilliant. Um, so yeah, so that was the first sort of indoor live gig that we'd had for nine months. So it was quite special. Well, because I can imagine live online is quite different than being on stage. And can you tell us about, I mean, you, t you mentioned it earlier, but can you tell us about your experience with gigging on stage during lockdown as mm. well as the online gigging? Yes, so there's sort of various different formats to the on so Initially, the, the idea of doing stand-up online just seemed so ludicrous. It was like, don't be ridiculous. Comedy absolutely lives and breathes with a live audience. Right. And, and true stand-up does. It's, it still does. Nothing's changed about that. And that's why we, can, we will never lose it. Right. So the level of stand-up that I've been doing in lockdown online is an right. adapted version. So... There was sort of three different ways. There was one where, you know, somebody would ask you to do sort of do stand up to your camera and then it's a clip, you know, pre-recorded. But it's just too weird to do stand up to your phone. So I, yeah, that's I it feels like you're just of, rehearsing a routine and you'd have to pause for yeah, laughter. And Absolutely. So I started to adapt it more to kind of became a bit of a prop comedian and and specifically did things using my house and household implements and you know just kind of made it very very individual and very of the moment and and what you always do in stand-up as you know is you you are in the moment and you mm. you're in that space you know you don't don't talk about yesterday's gig or yesterday's audience because that's not there anymore you have to talk about what's and so to acknowledge that it was a bit odd or that you were in your kitchen or, you know, mm. and so using, using your environment and the situation you were in to make fun of it and to pre present that with the sort of pre-recorded stuff, the Zoom thing yeah. was, sorry, the mm. Zoom ones were the closest to a live gig because yeah. like now I could see people and hear them. There was a slight delay and it feels a bit odd because you're standing in your hall at home, but it was, it was as close to a live gig. And so that those were the best ones. And the ones that the stand were doing in various other places was when you were in the actual club, Which I looking saw at a camera. Of. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're doing your gig to a camera. There are people in the room, but only other acts and staff, because it's a minimal amount allowed in. Right. So you were getting the last. So you still had that adrenaline rush. You were on an actual stage, but what was so difficult was when you hear people laughing like, there or there, you know, sort of looking left and right, is to keep your head straight ahead to look because it's you're playing to the people at home. So, so you can't was, even you can't even like just do 
you can, but I've, right. I've, I'd watched so I'd watched it as an audience member at home and right. gone, oh, it really it does it looks shit if you look left. If you talk to people in the room, it causes a real disconnect. So it was uh -huh. doing that. So it was kind of using the energy of the people around you, and, right. and focusing it all down the lens. So again, another skill that I learned that I just wouldn't have been. I'd never have ever done that. And so mm. it, it just really is a really good exercise in focusing your mind and um, dealing with distraction and everything. So loads of positives, even though it was well weird, well weird. Mm -hmm. And I hope it all comes to an end soon and we just get to gig in a comedy club. Well, inshallah, we will, because the bonus question mm -hmm. is... One of the things I would like to do with this podcast is to provide our listeners a glimpse into our guest's world that isn't strictly comedy focused. Mm -hmm. So, For example, I live near Alexandria, named after Alexander the Great on the northern coast of Egypt. There are some tourist sites like the Alexandria Library, great seafood, and many lovely shisha cafes on the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Also down the road, 200 kilometers, 124 and 27 miles for those that don't <laughs> understand kilometers are the pyramids <laughs> massive wow. architectural feats and great restaurants and re nightclubs and bars along the nile if i visited you in scotland where could i see some historic sites what do you recommend i visit and can i smoke a shisha I well obviously if you're going to come back to scotland then you have to come and stay with me and i live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world which is just outside edinburgh where you've been before to south queensferry you still live in south queensferry i still live in south queensferry i'm in a different house but still my view is oh, and we've built another bridge since you were last here so we've got the famous famous rail bridge which spans the river forth Right. and the fourth road bridge and now we have the new queensferry crossing right. and it's just steeped in history around here where before the, any of the bridges were built the um queen margaret it was the ferry that used to have to get over to fife the kingdom of fife and just the estates the beauty around here so there's yeah there's lots of um lots of things to discover lots of history a, a, a castle is never very far away including what i grew up in and um and a shisha yeah there because i think there's actually in edinburgh there's a shisha cafe now but it's an outdoor one because smoking indoors yes. is forbidden is forbidden yes now in honor of your scottish roots the shameless plug section of my podcast in Scottish mm -hmm. Gaelic, Nere Sanas, which is actually shameless advert because there were no plugs mm. in Scottish Gaelic. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if I got the pronunciation right. Nere Sanas. Uh, Your guess is as good as mine, safe. I, don't, I can't speak Gaelic. <laughs> Fair enough. Ne bother. What have you got, Sor Alba? I voted yes. Uh, what have you got going on that our listeners should focus on? Go. 
Right. Well, um, obviously, I'm still tour support for Jonathan Pye. And so rescheduling of dates, rescheduling of dates and rescheduling of dates again, that we will hopefully, fingers crossed, COVID willing, which is the new God willing, isn't it? It's COVID willing. You know, um, you can start saying inshallah, it won't hurt. Mm. <laughs> inshallah. Not Allah. Allah. Inshallah means willing. Inshallah. Because yeah. like, if you make plans you in the Middle East and in Islamic culture, if you just say, inshallah, which Allah. means God willing, because like, yeah. yeah, you know, Boris Johnson might try and say, um, look, no, Nicola, I, I, I want us to go into tier five. What? Yeah, they're just inventing Focus tier five, and I think, Boris. I think there's an arrogance actually going back to what I was saying before when uh, people and Boris is ahead of this saying, you know, take care of this and then, you know, so everyone can have Christmas next year. And it's like, there's a real assumption that, that you know, we don't have any guarantee about life. Do you know what I mean? We don't, you know, people might not. What are people saving themselves for? And I think it's, we need to have perspective and remember that life isn't worth anything if you can't live it. So these restrictions are, as much as there might be a public health um, concern that, you know, just shutting down the globe to not to just merely exist is not the answer it really isn't and hopefully we get out of this with because yeah i mean we all die i mean that's cheery i know but we do <laughs> and some yeah some prematurely some not and i think mm. that but that's my own fear of mort uh, my own mortality i i thought i was scared of death and it turns out i'm not scared of death i'm scared of not living which is what we're doing at the moment but uh coming up Inshallah. Inshallah. So okay. coming up, Inshallah, is yeah. uh, tour support for Jonathan Pye next year, September and October. So the tour, it will be in a whole new show given everything that's happened. Um, and we'll be going all across the country again. So that's exciting. Uh, I signed with a new comedy agency whilst in lockdown, Get Comedy, who have just won the Comedians Comedian Best Promoters. Um, and they're just fabulous. Uh, Brett Vincent, Dean Blonde and Taylor McLeod, just awesome. So they've taken me under their wing. So they are kind of planning my life out a little bit. Um, but yeah, usual gigging, hopefully back in all the clubs, back in the stand, Hot Water, Comedy Store, Glee's. And I think come the Fringe January, is going to come back? Hmm? Think the fringe is going to come back next year or the year no, after? No, I think the year after. I don't think because you'd have to be planning the fringe pretty much in a the year next in advance, like a whole year you know I mean? in advance. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? And so with everyone in lockdown now, just before the deadline, it would make no Who, sense. What comedians are going to put a show into the fringe for this year, for next year now? Do I mean they're not? The Glasgow Comedy Festival has been postponed until, so that's not going ahead. But myself and two other comedians, Jay Lafferty and Crystal Evans, we are another podcast. Oh. Uh, we are going to be launching a podcast in January called How the Mother Half Lives. And it's basically the evolution of parenting. It's uh, parenting oh. from beginning to end. So Jay has, so we're all comedians. Jay has just had a little boy in the last year. He's just turned one. Crystal is slightly further along the parenting line and has two sort of, you know, a, a small baby and a toddler. 
and I'm out the other side having had four children, brought them all up, and the last one has moved out. So, yeah, so it's the evolution evolution of mum. Um, so, yeah, oh. we talk about all the various different aspects of parenting, and we come, we have very different styles. So, yeah, it's a, a parenting podcast covering all ages and all elements of good, bad, and indifferent parenting. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that's that should come out in January. And, yeah, I do my stand-up recounted workshops where I try and help people in business and in charities use comedy as a, as a tool to build confidence and presentations and help with mental health using wow. the... Um, so I do a lot of work with that, and I do a lot of work with HIV Scotland, working with their clients. Wow. So, and again, using comedy as a tool, not to become comedians, but to, to build confidence. So, yeah, just various different elements. You're going to have to send me anything. all that information on an e I mean, I can try and transcribe <laughs> it, but you'd be doing me a solid while I'm editing. Of course, absolutely, yeah. That's yeah, fingers and pies, say fingers and pies. <laughs> Inshallah. You're lucky Inshallah. I didn't teach you how to say bi'idnillah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, don't. Inshallah. Oh, come on, the Scottish can that. pronounce Arabic, you know, bi'idnillah. You, you know, think? Oh, I'm dreadful. So, no, I'm, I'm sticking with COVID willing. <laughs> it's the new God. COVID willing. I'm, COVID willing. It's the, new, it's the new God. So. Oh, I have to say this for my Arabic and Muslim listeners. <laughs> there is no God but one God, and now you and I are both on the watch list. <laughs> okay. Um, if I say inshallah again, will that help? <laughs> that will help. Yes, hopefully we won't get any angry people that uh, <laughs> I was very offended. Oh, remember, folks, it's comedy, comedy, comedy. Jokes make you think. I if hope. you can't laugh, then what is the point? Um, my favourite quote at the mm. moment, well, actually, I'm living by it. Mark Twain, uh, his quote is, the only really effective weapon, uh, the human race has only one really effective weapon, and that is laughter. I have and two I think quotes it's I have two quotes of Mark Twain I think are true as well. The first being politicians and diapers need to be changed and usually for the same reason. Yes, brilliant. And there are two great days in your life, the day you were born and the day you know why. Yeah, yeah. He has, he's got great ones. Another love, one I love is uh, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Which is great. Well, yeah. the reason why he's so great is because like me, He's a Sagittarius. Oh, are you a Sagittarius? Two of my daughters are Sagittarius. Raji Sagis, I call them. Well, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because another famous Sagittarian, <laughs> hmm? be like water, Bruce Lee. Oh, really? Yes. I've never checked. I'm a Taurian. I'm the stubborn bull, but I'm very loyal. My interpretation... My interpretation of Torians is that they do not put up with BS. You know, they do not. No, that they would do be not. like I, I don't think I don't see them as stubborn bulls. On the contrary. No, I think we're very. Um, yeah, I think we're very straight down the line, straight talking, very loyal and dependable. But I, yeah. I mean, no nonsense. I think 
stubborn would be trying to stand in the way of a charging bull rather mm -hmm. than saying that the bull is being stubborn for charging you for trying to put yes. up with your bs yep yep deep metaphor yep. which we won't which we will start doing because third time is the charm yes uh, jojo sutherland uh you've been a wonderful guest um thank you so much for appearing on uh the show with no name how can I forget the show with no name? With name. no name. That's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, See, It's oh. always a pleasure and an honor to see you. Well, thank you. I hope to have you again in season two of the show with Yay. no name. Um, yes, well, we can recap and wonder where we will be. But wherever we'll be, it's going, it's an adventure, isn't it? Every day is an adventure. It's so. in the words of my favorite comedian, it's just a ride. <laughs> people who don't know that that's bill hicks watch him devour all his videos it'll change your life if you're a civilian if you're a comedian keep writing and <laughs> just how do you overcome creator's block before i let you go um by oh do you know just looking around the world and just Everything that I say on stage is an adaptation, an exaggeration, or an or just a straightforward retelling of something that happens. So I'm just, I'm always in a conscious state of that could be funny, that is funny. Yesterday, uh, Finn was talking about how she'd had a cup of tea for the first she, first cup of tea she'd had. So she's eighteen and she'd had a cup, and I was like. So I was straight away just going, actually, this thing, when do you have your first cup of tea? Because as children, you just, they don't drink tea. I mean, kids remember when they have their first drink, alcoholic drink or, mm. you know, cigarette or something like that. But it's, and, and it generally tends to be, because she said, oh, she was round at someone's flat and they offered her a cup of tea and she didn't want to say no. And I think that is how everybody has their first cup of tea is just out of sheer embarrassment. <laughs> Oh, yes. How do you take it? Oh, I don't know how to take it. <laughs> I just there was something in that. This, you know, because especially in Britain, tea is the national, you know, it's the national drink. We're a nation of tea drinkers. Hi. But actually, our first cup of tea is usually offered by some somebody's mum or a somebody, you know, somebody you don't know very well and you you accept because you don't want to be rude. I think that's your first experience with a cup of tea. Would you like a cup of milky tea? Oh, I don't want Would to you like a cup of tea? Yeah, tea's the answer to everything, but not not before you're 18. <laughs> you know, ironically, my uh, first prepared gig 18 years ago, mm. um, material revolved around how British and Arabs are so alike. They solve everything with a cup of tea. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Say, say one step further, you know, a girl screams from the top of the stairs, she's bleeding. And mum's answer will be, I'll put the kettle on. Well, I'll put the kettle on, exactly. You know, you become oh, you're a woman. in shock. You're in shock. Have a cup you're of tea. In shock. I'll put the kettle on. <laughs> yeah. I fell by GCSEs. I'll put the kettle on. <laughs> Mom, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Teacup, <I'll>... it'll be. <laughs> or maybe... Yeah, I'll put the kettle on your bum. <laughs> I mean, maybe we can get the morning after pill. I don't know. We'll decide. Mm. You love the father. 
That's so, a weird tangent to go down before we go. In terms of, because this is showing my ignorance of global affairs to some degree. Go on. Life in Egypt. Yeah. Is it? Is it? It's free and easy, but there must. Is that what are the constraints? Do you have constraints, or is it? You is it government-led? Is it children? No, in terms. No, okay. in terms of lifestyle. Is it? Uh, it's is it government ruled or is it societally kind of conservative or it's a mixing pot it's over the last in the 21st century Egypt has become quite modern mm. quite forward thinking um, more forward thinking than most other Arab states actually in some regards mm -hmm. there are other areas that are like gray areas I won't go into because I you know don't want to get arrested <laughs> but um, it's it's not the worst country in the world in, in terms of freedom of expression. I mean, I mean, obviously, like, you know, the LGBT community in, 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 in Scotland and in England and Britain can be openly declarative of their persona. But that wouldn't be the same thing here, but that's just because it's the religious law of the country. And mm. if you were to try and implement some kind of sensitivity training to like the local average policeman, it could be a combination of it would not take because of the culture. It has nothing to do with the government, it has nothing to do with the because like the culture is a strange mixing pot of like the old versus the new and people locked into different rules and regulations of like what is constrained by Islamic law and okay. law and then world law and then like ethical law as well because essentially the ideology of law itself you know when a person obeys the law wears a mask doesn't wear a mask mm -hmm. stays at home doesn't stay at home um for example, Egypt is a very large scale cash in hand kind of economy. I mean, they okay. put their caches in banks and like, you know, the yeah. average working lower class Egyptian, if they earn less than I think it's 10 or 12,000 Egyptian pounds a year, they don't have to declare their taxes, but they usually store their money in banks and whatever. But it's a cash in hand process, like a lot of taxi drivers, craftsmen, builders, blue collar, mm -hmm. and it would be impossible for them to shut down working for a day. Like you couldn't yeah. turn around and tell them I'm you have to stay at home. Cigarette. That's quite all right. <laughs> I, I must have told Yeah. You know, I think we brought like Benjamin, Abon, uh, Benjamin Bancolo, Bancoli, Bancolo, Bancolo, Bello. He was like an hour and I don't know, like, four minutes or something but we've surpassed that but that's because of course we have because ironically <laughs> he's been doing comedy 11 years you've been doing it nearly 20 so mm. it makes sense that the veteran with longer road journey experience would have more to and you have accomplished a lot you know and i i hated wrapping up the show when i had to but it was just because like you know it's well, a no, podcast yes exactly and it's nice though to kind of have it all you know 
you don't I don't I, I mean rambling on uh, until I say you know I don't see it as rambling because you asked a very profound question because uh, your listener your listening base and my listening base would be interested to hear the answer to this and it's sort of like like it's not as bad as say for example certain gulf states I'm not going to name and shame mm. because I might want to re-enter those countries again but there are certain gulf states that are okay but then on certain malls they'll have like no bikinis allowed like you can't mm -hmm. come in here if you're in your swimwear you know no dogs allowed unless service dogs obviously um no skateboarding and no public displays of affection, affection. that yeah. always gets me seeing mm -hmm. the no public displays of affection and it's usually just shown as a symbol of like two hands and a big red line through it so but we don't have that here in egypt like you're not going to see outside of a mall no public displays of affection mm. and the youth are getting more and more i don't want to say audacious but they're kind of like we had our me too movement this year oh, okay so in the social media we've had our me too movement this year and a lot of Egyptian satirists and humor like Bassem Youssef uh, and like very many, you know, Rami, uh, I think Rami Malek, the one from Mr. Robot. Oh, a lot yeah, of, yeah. A lot of Egyptians living overseas. Mohammed, uh, oh God, Egyptians are going to be like, you forgot. Mohammed, like, is it hell, the one who plays for Liverpool? Oh my God. How could I, as an Egyptian, forget his his face is all over the Afro mustache? It's not Mohammed Omar, is it? No, more None of the. I don't follow football, so that's my you know like I. I'm, but I should just like you know for saving grace, try and remember, try and remember how what was his name? What was his name, listeners? I'm trying to remember. I'm not looking this up on Google <laughs> on my phone at all. <laughs> um, I, I'm not looking this up, but I'm literally, Jojo, am I looking this up? No, up? you're remembering from your from natural my, resources. My natural memory, uh, mm. like, oh God, what is his name? Muhammad Salah, that's it. Oh, Mo Salah. Mo Salah, yeah. Salah, yeah, like of they're all They're all noticing this from their relatives living here and talking about it, so... Mm. We're, we're, we're definitely, we've shifted into the 21st century. We've done a, we've done a pretty good progress. I mean, mm -hmm. there are times when there are a couple of people, just like the drunk jerk at a, at a Scottish gig will, can yeah. ruin the mood. You get yeah. the odd jerk shouting and ruining the mood for everybody, but everybody generally, they're, you know. And how are, what are restrictions like? With what's the what the COVID cases and how how is your lifestyle impacted by COVID? Uh, the last figure I saw was something like I think one hundred and twenty seven thousand cases. I saw this yesterday or day before, and we've had like around six thousand seven hundred and two deaths. I mm. don't know if that's daily or just altogether because we've had like a pretty high recovery rate according to when you look it up on google mm. but again um i know that the british culture and the american culture have been misrepresenting the statistical data like hospitals like scientists oh, tell yeah. you one thing 
then the hospitals will tell you another thing, and then the media will tell you another thing, and then the politicians will tell you another thing. That's like what I've seen happening in Britain. And so when you look at Facebook feeds of all the comedians living oh, in the just, UK, yeah, it's not. It's a it's I, a I don't know if I'm saying it right. Bruhaha, braha. Yeah, bruhaha. Yeah. Is that a Scottish word? The bruhaha. I think it is. I think it is. But in terms, so I mean, we've got. I mean, we're in basic lockdown again. What? What's can you are you social distancing in Egypt? What are you doing? I do. A lot of my friends do. And then there are friends that don't but what's, what's what's Egypt's regulations though? What are you meant to be doing? Are the shops open? Are the nightclubs open? Are... No, no, no. Like uh, well, that's the weird thing. I saw a restaurant. I mean, like we're talk there was talk about another lockdown coming in. But a restaurant just posted an advert for sushi specials. You have to dine in from six to twelve, okay, p.m. to midnight, for fifty percent off because of their three-year anniversary. Mm. So, and that's for this Thursday, then like tomorrow. Okay. So, so, like, but I mean, this is the thing: you wear a mask, you go into Costas. The tables have been spaced out, and yeah. So, I mean, there is a form of like adaptation to it. And like the gigs have been going on till today. Mm. There's still gigs going on. Okay. But like, but like a 500 seater venue is 250 seats capacity. Right. Okay. So comedy is still actually going on, but like trying to get an English speaking gig up and running. Mm. I was in negotiations with a venue before COVID came and, you know, ruined everything. And then, like, the world locked down and everything. And I just, like, about two weeks ago, I just reconnected with that venue. They've got, like, three different venues. It's a bar restaurant chain called mm -hmm. The Tap. The Tap West, The Tap East. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, like, uh, lovely. They have, like, British, American cuisine, fusion, really good food, lovely stage, lovely performance venue. I've done comedy there. And uh, they're very interested in being a exclusive for like something I was going to do with Ronan Comedy, which was to bring comedians over that basically if you have like a bucket list, which is I'd love to perform on a stage in Egypt. Mm. Because like, but you have to all Scottish comedian and every international comedian has to bear in mind the exchange rate that the average pay for a comedian can be anywhere between you know, at worst, three, four hundred Egyptian pounds, at best, two to three to four thousand Egyptian, mm -hmm. which when you translate into the sterling, it's kind of like half, if not maybe a third, in between a third and a half way of what you would get paid for like the stand or glee right. or a comedy store. Mm -hmm. um, but you would have English speaking audiences <laughs> that would be receptive to the cross-cultural references yeah yeah absolutely and so on and so mm -hmm. forth and it's just basically like i said it's like i called it hashtag gigging in egypt bucket list which was the idea that comedians that love traveling and performing yeah. on the world would turn around and say i've performed in cairo and alexandria yeah. here's the footage did you get paid well it's egypt but i did see the pyramids yeah, you know, exactly. You know, like I, and I think a lot of you have to balance that quite often sometimes with gigging. Do you know what I mean? It's not always about the money. It's about the experience and, you know, where you are in the world. And do you know what I mean? a lot of 
a lot of gigs don't, you know, abroad don't pay particularly well, but you're getting the experience which you can't buy. Do you know what I mean? So. And the, and the best thing is, like Jojo, you and every other comedian that would be interested in coming and performing here, yeah, you might get that one punter at a Glasgow gig that caught mm. you once at the Edinburgh stand and saw a gag you did. Yeah. Peppered, but like all new gags, but then she yeah. was like, oh, she did that gag from, you know, mm -hmm. like what she did at the Edinburgh, but everything else was like spot on and made me laugh yeah. you know, so much that my cheeks hurt. Um, and, but here, if you came to Egypt, Cairo, Alexandria, the audiences would never have seen any of your jokes yeah, of before. Course. And that's an interesting thing, actually, with the advent of social media now, and I found this a lot, mm. because I was, I was quite conditioned into thinking, oh God, if anything's gone out online, I can't use it again. But actually, social media audiences, if they've seen you online, Mm. And then they come and see you live. They actually do want to see the joke again. They want to see the joke live. Mm -hmm. It's that, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you didn't do the puppy joke or you didn't do Jiller or you did, you're kind of going, oh, okay, right, okay, fine. That's weird. So I've got less, I've got less kind of hung up about doing jokes live on stage that I know people have seen on the internet now because mm. I used to worry about it, but now I don't because it's always very different in a live environment. Do you know what I mean? I do, I do. And on that note, I'll close the podcast. Don't go anywhere. Allow me to I would. stop recording. So you've had the wonderful and amazing Jojo Sutherland with Safe Obacandio on the show with no name. We're exclusively on Anchor, but we'll be on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. We are available on those. Provided by Anchor FM. They don't pay me to say this until they exchange, they change their terms and conditions. Jojo, you've been wonderful. Thank you. And look forward to having you again on season two. Thank you, Sage.